So today we have Megan and Lily. Yes. Lily's last name. Rutger. Rutger. Cousin of Megan. Yes. Yeah. So Lily's here. Lily is an artist in central Minnesota, where I am from. Uh, because all of us live in like a 20 mile radius. Yep. Stearns County, you can look it up on <laughs> Wikipedia. It's pretty famous. <laughs> Why? Not really. Yes. So, like Lily was mentioning the other night, Stearns County has a lot of like township and land grant yeah. stuff, and it's it's it started super agrarian, and so it's just a bunch of like long standing farm <laughs> families. Yep, and they're all German Catholic and huge families that no one remembers who's related to who. Yep. There's a lot of incest. Yep. It sounds like St. Charles, Missouri, St. Louis. It's like a subsidiary of St. Louis where, like, all the German farmers settled. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Basically. Well. But it's a charming place. There's <laughs> a granite quarry. We also been there. Yeah, we're famous for our granite. I just found this out. So I was, um, I was, <laughs> this is also really famous. So St. Cloud State University, a very famous party school, but also a very good business school. But they run the 50 hours of trivia contest out of their um, radio station. And so I was doing the 50 hours of trivia contest with my aunt and a bunch of her friends. And... Granite from quarries in Cold Spring were used in making the Hall of Records at Mount Rushmore. Wow. Is yeah. that something we really want to advertise about Rushmore? <laughs> I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Mount Rushmore. I like that was the martini. I don't want to pretend that I am, but our granite quarries are world famous. Yep. They also ship it all the way to China. Yep. They built pretty well, good. Yeah. Apparently there's like a strain of pink granite that our Uncle Pat got some like slabs of that's like there's no more quarries with that certain pink granite. So it's supposed to be like really valuable. I've actually like somebody told me about that and they asked me what they should do with it and I think I just said keep it if you want to. Cool. I've actually taken Tori to Quarry Park. We did a podcast um, episode there too, actually. We did. Yeah. They have wild prickly pear cactus. Aww. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Huh. In Quarry Park, there's a few spots in Surin's County with it. Quarry Park has one of them. Aww. That so, would be cool to look for. Mm-hmm. Lily, what do you do in Central Minnesota? What do I do? I, right now, am working as an art coordinator at um, Art in Motion in Holding Ford, Minnesota. It's a new art. Cafe Gallery on the Lake Wobegon Bike Trail, which was a Rails to Trails project in Stearns County. And I manage the art gallery and I book musicians. We've only been open for about a year, but it's really cool. And it's a kick-ass job. I work for a really nice guy. (laughs) Um, That's always important. Every artist listening to this hates you. I, I know. I thought about this while you were showering. I don't think I've ever met like an artist or an art major who has like that job. Yep. Kudos. Don't ever let it go. No, I know. <laughs> I, I I can't I can't mess that up. <laughs> I'm very very lucky, and it was it was like a very serendipitous like falling into that position because it was like just like I sent him a Facebook message. I just wanted to like make coffee or something, you know, and, like be around art. And 
then he's like, well, what are your career goals? And I was like, well, I want to do something with art someday, but I don't really know what that is yet. And he's like, well, we can start in June. Doing what? <laughs> Coordinating stuff. Just like, yeah. And I was like, you don't know what you need yet. <laughs> you need someone who knows what they want, though. Yeah, that's true. So it's a it's a really cool position, and I'm very grateful to have it. And I just want to figure out how to use it responsibly and like bring some positive like art to a population of 700 people. Um, there's also like a lot of Sorry. land um, on campus that the owner has that's like part of this like art in motion thing. Part of it is gonna oh, be you should get a sculpture rapid. garden in there. Oh yeah. That's, that's gonna happen. Nice. Right now it's like we just planted five acres of wildflowers and a primrose maze. Oh, we gotta get Bristol out there. Oh, because of the wildflowers? Yeah. Norman. I mean, both Bristol and Ed. I know that you're both into it, but I think more about Ed when I think about it. Yeah, it just sounds like Who oh. also worked in a prairie in Illinois, yeah. which is not on the West Coast. But like, I just all your, and prairie restoration is huge mm-hmm. in the central part of our our state. Um, but I just think of your biology and body friends; it would be all over that. I mean, it sounds you're just painting in Eden. Essentially, it sounds great. It could. It's one of those things where it's like so young that it could go really well or it could go really wrong. But most of it is just going to go really well. Yeah. Cool. You know. And I mean, like, I know that I give the central part of the state a lot of crap. Um, I feel like I have the license to do that as someone mm-hmm. who has, you know, grew up there mm-hmm. and is now back in Minnesota, but the area has a lot of potential. It does. And yeah. I mean, we were talking last night, but there's a lot of craft culture and there's these long old German Catholic farm families where the domestic arts were like really well received and are continuing on. and. You were saying there's a lot of potters. Mm-hmm. We potters. we checked out the glass blowing studio in Duluth yesterday, and that was super fun. Nice. I think the internet's like gonna have to go and interview those people. Yeah, definitely. And the central part of the state, there's there's a lot of universities, so there's a lot of young, mm-hmm. a lot of young energy and a lot of young talent. There is, and there's like a big multicultural presence in mm-hmm. that area because mm-hmm. of all the immigration, which. You know, although it's been kind of tense for the last 20 years, um, it has the potential to become something really beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, sharing a culture and good food and, um, you know, different land practices, different art. Hopefully it improves. There's a lot of really great people right now doing some good work out there. Like, otherwise... Besides your boss guy, what other things are going on? What things are going on out there? Ooh, there's a new um, Cajun restaurant. Oh, really? In St. Joe. That sounds spicy. <laughs> it's my I soft guess, little vegetarian. Actually, I haven't I'm not... eaten much of their food, but they actually made the New York Times. Ooh. The crew and this. Um, bakery that moved in flower and flower is a couple from um uh, I wanna say Wilmer or somewhere out there. 
like West Central Minnesota, they moved and they built this bakery that makes the most amazing just like baked goods and then crew that has like Louisiana French Creole cuisine and really fine cocktails and it's been pretty I think it's been pretty well received even though they just opened during COVID. So those are like the three main art in motion crew, flower and flower, and I guess there's an ice cream shop too. Um all opened during COVID and I hope they're doing good. Filling a need. People needed culture. Mm-hmm. They suddenly lost mm-hmm. all human contact and were like, <gasps> so culture. When I was in, <laughs> when I was in high school, um, that's what people used to do all day. Well, the local blend opened, which is a really well established now coffee shop that brought back like a live music yeah. venue. And so that really took off and is really successful. And then just within the last few years, milk and honey, which is a cidery started in that area, which is also a really great, a live music venue and so like arts and culture is just slowly like trickling back in after like all the commercialism of the last 30 years yeah another thing that came up that has popped up that there's very little no knowledge about it is um an amphitheater in a quarry ah that's awesome oh my and god that sounds like the gorge and it's huge except it's like a natural gorge but it's basically it's it yeah. sounds awesome or like red rocks yeah it's gonna be like that but it's on um like the south side of Waite park by menards awesome. you can kind of see it vaguely on 23 you're like is that a shed is that a grain bin it's oh my gosh like, we're there all the time like that's so close to my dad's house yeah so that's gonna be really cool and rock related. Yeah, Minnesota. Well, yeah. So I was gonna. Challenging. I was gonna bother you about you, you about it, but I wanted to bother you while we were recording. What? <laughs> <laughs> Very strange yourself. Um, I I know that you have worked with so many mediums, but like, where are you at right now on like? what you're working on or what's really speaking to you or what you're exploring medium wise. Right now, currently I'm in this post undergrad kind of identity crisis. <laughs> for an artist. <laughs> yeah. I think we all go through. <laughs> I, I go through an identity crisis like every year. So oh, like, mine is every three months. I have an existential crisis. So yeah. this one's so, an eye agate. The oil from my hands builds up and yeah. So for context, we were beach coming earlier today on the shore of Lake Superior, so we're kind of looking over our finds. This are actually these are actually from the alley behind our house. And the alley behind our house. Because we can just <laughs> pick up agates there, but we I found a lot of beach glass on the beach, so I'm thrilled about that. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, and you were asking her like a legit question. Yeah. Um yes. Now I'm like wanting to work with beach glass because I like have a very small amount. But what I've been working with a lot um, this winter is I've been doing some drawing because I live in an apartment now and I don't have a lot of space to like dick around with sculpture stuff or large things. And so pencil drawing or color pencil has been like really great. But sometimes I go to my parents' house and they have space and I started doing like wood like chopped log stamping or printing on paper and I started doing that on like small pieces just to like play around while I was at their house over Christmas and I was talking with a mentor and she was like this feels really good like this feels like something um 
like really genuine and it has like a connection to like your family and like your your process of cutting wood all the time. And I was like, yes. <laughs> you are right. <laughs> that is what I was going for. <laughs> and so now I'm working on this um, scroll that's made of fruits of paper, which is another kind of like um, traditional material, I guess, that my family uses to process meat and package it and put it in the freezer. And so I have this whole entire roll of freezer paper that's 50 feet long. And I'm doing wood stamping on that and also doing some drawing with charcoal I found from brush fighters on that piece of paper and rolling it up into a scroll. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with it, but I have a 50 foot scroll now. Well, I mean, that is art. Yep. It's a lot of like preserving and like the winter, staying warm. Well, and your your family, because I mean, we come from a huge family, Mm -hmm. um, but your parents and your family, out of all of us, I would say, had the biggest focus on, like, sustainability and, like, self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure your family doesn't purchase any meat. <laughs> it's all, you know, harvested at home and hunted. Basically. I think, I mean, we'll purchase chicken and, like, hot dogs or sausages every once in a while. But if they can, they hunt it themselves. I convinced my dad to get some steers every summer. And so we have black Angus um now and um goose duck and your mom is just a wonderful gardener turtles yeah (laughs) i mean roadkill like (laughs) see why is it cool when she does it but when i do that it's ah you better not (laughs) you've been a vegetarian for over 10 years that's not helpful to my argument (laughs) but I want to hear more about the turtle seed part. The turtles? Yeah. I don't like eating turtles, and I think it's really sad, but um, <laughs> my dad and his buddy, they like to go turtling. I did not know this. Or is they it like an oyster? You just... It's like snapping turtle. Oh, so they're like big, big turtle. Yeah. Or they find them on the side of the road and they throw them in the trunk. What do they do with the shell? They to trees. You want to throw the yeah, but okay. that's cool. <laughs> you can totally have one. Right now, birds just peck at it, so. <laughs> they just nail it. That's, not, that's so very it's weird. So we, saw, we saw turtle shells at the farm. I Did we? Yeah. I saw the big skulls. Yeah, the, those two. Count number 20, and then. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. I'll get, you, I'll get you a turtle shell because it makes me sad. <laughs> just <laughs> I was dating someone who was from um, the Tsuki tribe or whatever in New Mexico, and they worship turtles. And he came over and was like, "Oh no, why do you have a turtle shell? <laughs> they don't do treatment." My dad's like, "Tell you about turtles. You like turtle soup?" And he's like, "Turtles are sacred in my family." No, yeah. <laughs> um, that was not. That was not cute. <laughs> It's a bad moment. All the air gets sucked out of the room. (laughs) And I, I mean, so Um, I know quite a few artists, but I'm obviously not family with them. But it sounds like a lot of your art really has deep personal connections. It's not superficial at all. Usually not. There's been pieces that I have made for assignments, but they don't feel that good. And I don't feel, I, I, if you kind of, 
don't know, there's a huge pressure in, in like the art world to like have a cohesive body of work, whatever that means. And for some people, it's using the same material or working in the same style that they just really like. But I and but then for some, it's about you know their personal connection. If it's all related to you or like your upbringing or your traditions, then it's a cohesive body of work, and you have you have something to say through through it. Yeah, um, that's cool. Yeah. I've done a lot of stuff of like maps, like mapping places. Um, maybe mostly through college when I was not living at my parents' house. When I'm at home, I have no desire to like map shit. But when I'm in like Morris or in New Mexico, I'm like, I'm gonna make some maps of where I'm at because I need to create some sort of sense of place identity or something. Direction. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like you were talking about, we were, we were kind of talking about landscapes and the way the Midwest looks from the air and um, the way it's just perfectly gridded out. But it, it is a unique perspective that's not always there in the other parts of the country that are not super flat and agrarian. Right. And then we have these rivers that just cut their way through and it's interesting to see how people like build around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I often tell people the history of St. Cloud, where we're next to this town called Sauton Rapids, and the reason St. Cloud was built up is because a tornado came through and destroyed half of Sauton Rapids. So rather than rebuild it, they just decided to build up St. Cloud, and now Sauton Rapids is just kind of like a burb of St. Cloud. I did not know that. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. There's a, I think it was at the Stearns County History something or other. That place is cool. <laughs> Super cool. But they have like a picture of a wedding party where everyone was killed in this storm. Like everyone died in this giant wedding party. The, the camera survived. Like who the hell is that? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's dark. I know. But also kind of funny in a mm-hmm. really morbid way. Yeah. In kind of a Midwestern way? Yeah. Yeah. So, if you have unlimited resources and money wasn't an issue, what, and like you had a space to create whatever you wanted, what would you want to focus on artistically? Hmm. That's a good question. It's a really I, heavy question. I know, it's I, a mean, heavy I question. know that there's like things I would want to do or that would be super cool. And, like, public art is super fun, and, like, big sculpture. Whenever you, like, unlimited resources, like, I'm going to get build a bigger. <laughs> but <laughs> I think I would just live off of the money, buy food, and just fuck around <laughs> in the studio. Like, I, I don't know. I like using inexpensive materials that are, like, sustainable and, I don't know, you know, that I find have a connection to. It's fun to buy stuff. Yes, yes, it is. Yep. So divorcing art from consumerist culture. Yep, that's what I'm understanding. That seems yep. hard, and I mean hard in in like a profound awesome is a cool word because we overuse the word awesome kind of way. Like, yeah, marketing has bogarted art for many Americans. So to divorce from that seems... And when you think about it, like, the accessibility of art is totally connected to consumerist culture and, like, financial 
well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's that, but then if you're a conceptual artist making just like abstract stuff that like no one's gonna want to buy, doing performing things like just you know objects that are just arrangements of objects, like thinking of each other, like compared to him. But you know, um, I don't know who that is. He was like he made that the he took a urinal, tipped it on the side, and then wrote fountain on it. Oh. He's like tied a hammer to a wall and said like it titled it like three feet from a broken arm or something like that. Does he make lots of money? I don't even know if he made money, but no. he got a lot of attention. Yeah. So there's like the money aspect and then there's the attention aspect to art. And then billionaires will buy that conceptual art because it's a way to basically like launder their money. Ah. Because they're getting a thing, but they can spend exorbitant amounts of money on it because they think it's so smart. Um, wow. And you can't survive off making like conceptual art unless you have a lot of ins with these conceptual galleries and or and if no you're one incredibly unders- controversial, right? But no one like you know average working class people think it's like not for them, and so. Even that, where it's like people aren't really buying it, they're just looking at it and like <laughs> sitting around and arguing about it. Like, that's not accessible to the average Joe either. So, because yeah. they're like, this is for smart people and they're talking down on me. Shit. But, you know, there's a lot of um, rural artists who are making conceptual rural works that I think are really brilliant and could maybe bridge that gap a little. Um, but that. <sighs> I want to know what kind of shows that you have already put together. But I really was only a year. I put together, so I got the job in June, and we still had to, like, do some, like, you know, just building the place and, like, doing, getting rugs and, like, buying cleaning supplies and just, like, the bare, the basics, like, the, like, tier one needs for the company. <laughs> And so we spent a lot of time doing that um, in June, and then we opened on July 10th, and I just kind of got as many artists that were like, yeah, you can just have some of my work in the gallery for whatever length of time I'm not doing anything. So I had just one, like, just visual arts show to open, and we had some really great stuff. There's like a little, you know, yeah, there's just some, there were some gems in that show. Um, and then the next show we did was called, like, the Homecoming Show, and we got the potter, his name's Mark Scavard, he does all wood fire pottery in, um, Wisconsin, Cambridge, Wisconsin, Cambridge Pottery. He makes huge pieces, too. Really, really great guy. He was from Holding Fort originally, um, and he comes to visit frequently and just stopped in and was, like, talking, and he's like, yeah, I do pottery, and I'm like, you do pottery? Cool. And then, like, my, um, Heidi, who was also working with us, we were kind of like, this would be perfect for a show of rubbing artists together. that are from Holding Ford, because in a small town like that, it'd be really insulting to just throw in a bunch of outsider artists into this gallery and be like, this is for you, but we're having these foreigners in your gallery, you know oh, what I mean? Totally, yeah. So, we decided, we birthed the idea of the Homecoming show, and we had Mark's Pottery... 
big, huge pieces, some smaller pieces, functional wear and sculpture. Um, kind of, most of it was functional. I think he might have been a few sculptural pieces or pieces that were so beautifully functional that it would have been more sculptural. <laughs> um, and then some, you know, we had a high schooler in that show. We had all sorts of types of artists in the homecoming show. And that one was a huge, you know, pretty big success, I think, um, for a lot of reasons. People really felt heard by that exhibit because they could see names on the walls that they knew or heard of, and it was art that they could understand or art that they felt comfortable purchasing and bringing into their lives. And so I think for that reason, that show is successful. There was also a um, 1942 John Deere B tractor that was exhibited in that show because the FFA wanted a place to have their tractor raffle. Aww. But it kind of connected to like that um, sense of labor and the soil that was already established with the pottery um, in that show. I had so. a relative who collected tractors. Like people don't understand mm -hmm. tractor culture in the Midwest and how it's definitely a thing. That was people's favorite thing about that show. Yeah, the tractor. <laughs> and you're all just like, thanks. <laughs> we didn't do yeah. anything. Yeah. No, kids like to climb on it and take their picture. It was just cool. <laughs> people loved it. Well, and people don't understand that the the CEO or the uh, Ron Offit owns John Deere, and he is like a Minnesota native. So, like tractors are are homegrown Minnesota mm. through and through. Yeah, he's a billionaire. He also owns like all the potato farms in the country. He's a Concordia alumni, which is how I know about him. But yeah. is he a moral owner of most of the Oh, country? I mean, probably not. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the the moral of that little point was that... Uh, that they're really important to Minnesotans. Yeah, yeah. And I love you. Yeah, so the tractor was good. Um, and then after that, we did a juried exhibition. And that's just like an online submission. And then we had a panel pick pieces. Um, and that was kind of a big project to coordinate, being like the third show that I'd ever managed independently. Um, <laughs> but it was fine. And I had some work in that show, which was really fun to see too, because I didn't get to have a senior exhibition because of COVID. And I had worked my butt off for those pieces. Yeah. So. But that's okay. So that was really good. And then after that, we had a touring show that was going around the country called What I Fought For. And the organization Unite Cloud um, partnered with us to bring that show to our gallery. And it was a portrait exhibit, like large scale black and white portraits of veterans and refugees and their story mm -hmm. on how they were connected, either abroad or stateside. And that one was really powerful, but then we couldn't really share it too much because we had to close it a little early. Yeah. A lot of people don't know. So um, Central Minnesota has had multiple waves of immigration over the years. There were like a huge wave of Hmong immigrants and um, uh, Vietnamese immigrants uh, following the Vietnam War. And then recently we've had a huge uh, wave of Somali immigration. And a lot of those folks were also fleeing the Civil War. Um, 
and a lot of them are were refugees because they refused to fight in the war, um, or they've you know spent the last ten years in refugee camps and are waiting for resettlement. So I imagine that was a I don't want to say controversial, but we were anticipating that it could be controversial, and some people um, that we had you know, talked with in the gallery, we're like, oh, you guys are brave for doing this show here, but we were kind of like, why is this brave? Oh no, they think we're brave. But um, I think what was the end is when you explain to people who might have had a reservation to the show, they often were cool with veterans. Yeah. They're like, veterans, we love them. Yeah. Um. And it's like, we'll read the story and just kind of see that. And it's just a really... Um, yeah, those those situations are not specific to the United States. Like, people right. all over the world find themselves in the same situations yeah. as a lot of our veterans have. Yeah. Um, one of the most, I think, most powerful pairings in the show was this one where it was a... I think he was a from Yemen or Somalia, um, man who was either immigrated to the U.S. as a child and grew up here and was a citizen and then became a, um, was in the military, mm-hmm. and he was in Syria and he met a guy who was um, white but Middle Eastern mm-hmm. and was a refugee, and so looking at that was kind of a check your bias, and, you know, to what is a, who's the immigrant? You know, and who's the refugee, because in the area a lot of people just assume that if you're of a different skin color, darker skin color, that you're the refugee, or you're not from here. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's refugees of all skin colors that come to St. Cloud. Mm-hmm. The Midwest is a good place to put them. St. Louis has a very rich refugee population. We have in in Spokane there was a very large number of <laughs> folks from Russia and Ukraine. Wow. Yeah. That's very cool. And I know in Fargo there was a very large um wave of uh refugees and immigrants from Bosnia when they were fleeing the mm. conflict there. So yeah, I mean Minnesota by and large is a very white state, but there's a lot of history there that a lot of people don't know about. Mm-hmm. I think rural agrarian. I mean, I'll just say Minnesota. I know the culture is different in other states, but it can be kind of intimidating to people who are not familiar with it or don't have any exposure to it, right? Because a lot of people assume that everyone's like conservative and racist and stuff, and it's right. way more complicated than that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times they just haven't left the farm. Yeah. Like, they just, they literally don't know, and they're just, they're like, I've come 60 years, so I don't know how to talk to these people, so I'm just not going to talk to them. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want you to talk to me either, because they're going to think I'm dumb, you know? Yeah, and it doesn't always come from a, a malicious place at all. But, like, also, the hospitality culture 
Um, it beats where the we're south. from. It's yeah. amazing. It people are like the Southern hospitality. Uh uh. County man. Yeah. yeah, that's they'll bake you cookies. They'll send you home with cookies. Yeah, they'll feed you hot dish. <laughs> if you come over, you're getting coffee and you're getting lunch. Yep. <laughs> Also, like... And a set of dish towels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please stay and sleep here because it's so cold. You know? Like, yep. there's... Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. What do you drink? <laughs> since... a full bar. <laughs> yeah. Well, since being... Since moving back... Um, and, like, Tori's picked up on this, too. But just your day-to-day interactions with people are different than other parts of the country. Yeah. No one will give you the time of day. No one will make eye contact with you when you're walking down the street in Seattle. People actually avoid yeah. <laughs> any sort of interaction with you. And here, like, the person at the checkout line at your grocery store is going to strike up a conversation with you yeah. or, like, exchange pleasantries. And that's just not, it's just not that way in other parts of the country. It's not. And if if you do get that, they're trying to sell you something. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here, I mean, I've been in situations where I've needed my car pushed out of the snowbank, or I've helped push cars mm-hmm. <laughs> out of the snowbank, and so there's there's definitely like a a, a a mutual investment in each other's well-being that I think outsiders w- would really surprise mm-hmm. uh, folks who are not familiar, right? Those locks are cool too. Locks are really cool, and all the agrarian people have a really deep relationship with them. So they can pick them out of the fields. <laughs> yep. yep. I knew that's what you were going to say. Because of the uplift. So as the glaciers receded, the pressure literally on top of this part of the crust was relieved. And so there was literally uplift. You get, you're getting things that were deeper just rising because there's not a bunch of glaciers weighing them down. Which is why in some parts, and then there's also a bunch of wonderful tillable soil. Mm-hmm. So the stock farm has a bunch of rocks, like every year they have to go and pick them all out of the field. And then there will be no rocks. And then the next year they will have to do this again mm-hmm. because the rocks have suddenly like crawled back in and it's because of the uplift. And then Claire was telling us that there are literally two miles away other farms that don't have any rocks ever. Yep. And I'm sure they're still getting uplift, but there's just more soil there and not as many rocks. So, yay. So Lily and I related are related through our moms. Our moms were sisters. And, like, I've heard so many stories of all the girls and probably, well, the boys probably stayed home to do more work on the farm, but the girls going and picking rock at relatives' places for a summer. Mm-hmm. And thinking that they could suntan themselves and then trying to, like, <laughs> pick rocks in bikini tops and then getting all scratched up. Yeah, well, I'm just burnt. Suntan, <laughs> <laughs> like... Yeah, that family has a perspective of, oh, we have darker skin, we can survive it. No. No, you can't. <laughs> no. No. Stop that. Anybody else? Anybody else? Bye! Uh, it's kind of fun to be on the podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs>